Welcome to the Swim Swam podcast. I'm your host, Coleman Hodges. Joining me today, I've got not one, but two very special today returning guests. We've got Etta Akira, producer of a film called Blacks Can't Swim and now Blacks Can't Swim, the sequel, also co-founder of the BSA Black Swimming Association. And we've got Danielle Obey, CEO of the Black Swimming Association. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having um, us. It's, it's honor. Thank you. <laughs> get started with Blacks Can't Swim, the sequel. Uh, we, we've reported heavenly. We, we talked to you. We did a podcast earlier in the year about a film called Blacks Can't Swim and, and its significance, especially during that time. And I think Blacks Can't Swim, the sequel, just as relevant in today. Um, and so first, I wanted to get into this conversation by asking Ed um, and Danielle what you guys learned from making producing, releasing uh, a film called Blacks Can't Swim, the first title. Okay, okay. Uh, before I even answer the question, I would like to thank Swim Swam because they were the, f- you guys were the first uh, um, organization, or should I say publication, media outlet to um, jump on it as soon as I released the first trailer. Um, you reported first, when I when when I when I launched it through Twitter and social media, you your your organization was the first to come contact me and um, make an I won't say an attempt, but to actually report on it and make it what it is today. So you know, so I I like to thank you very much for that. Um, um, going on to your question, what have I learned from a film called Last Can Swim? When I released the trailer of a film called Bass Council, the first thing I realized that the issue is bigger than just me. Mm-hmm. When I when I um, produced a film called Bass Council, the whole idea was just highlighting my issue, my personal journey with swimming. It was all about I can't swim, and there's a few other people in my community that I know can't swim. Let's all get together and put together a document a, do- a, a documentary and a drama about our swimming journey. It's not until I released the trailer, um, which I just spoke about, whereby you, you, know, you guys highlighted it for myself on, on, on your platform, did I realize that, wow, this issue is bigger than just myself. This is a, this is a journey that a lot of people are experiencing, but in silence. Um, I also, one thing I noticed, and I didn't before releasing the trailer, was that a lot of people know about the issue and want to talk about the issue, but find it very, very uncomfortable to do so because of the sensitivity of it being a black issue. So a white person talking about a black person's issue can be a bit sensitive, can, you know, can, it can cause issues. So therefore a lot of people didn't talk about it. And two years on, it's more, um, I speak to a lot of people from all nationalities and people are more comfortable talking about it thanks to a film called Last Can Swim. So that's another thing I've noticed, um, you know, from, you know, from the, from the insets, 
from the beginning of a film called Vast Country. That I didn't notice then, but I know now. Um, and I'm sure there's a number of other things. Danielle, anything that comes to mind? I mean, I'm just really going to re-echo what Ed has said. So the the release and the producing, the making of a film called Blacks Can't Swim was just one of those, I would say it was a, a pivotal change um, in history. I, I dare say history, I'm sure some people agree or disagree, but it made this difficult to talk about issue, one that people could talk about because the very nature of the documentary was a personal story but it also was a personal story that was shot in a way that was relatable and that wasn't really heavy or pointing any fingers, but saying like, this is an issue within our community. And these are some of the barriers that preclude us from engaging aquatics. This is, this is as real as it gets. This is, this is what the average person on the street is going through, which again is quite phenomenal in and of itself, because when we think about swimming um, within our community, for instance, people assume that swimming is a, is a white sport, but why is it perceived as that? What are these stereotypes? What are these limiting beliefs that make people have that perception? So the film opened and shed a lot of light into exactly where the average person on the street was, where swimming is concerned. And there's one thing that Ed always says, he says, everybody has a story when it comes to swimming, either why they swim or why they don't swim or near drowning experiences or, you know, elite experiences, but there always is a story there. So it's a good it's been a good icebreaker and it has helped us helped us really have the foundation for what it is the BSA is set to do. So, yes. So, like you said, it kind of set the foundation. It broke the ice of getting this message, having the conversation about why the Black community in, in, in large part cannot swim or doesn't have the same kind of access as the white community does to swimming generally. Um, and so how did you carry that momentum, that broken ice, that conversation into the sequel? Well, um, the sequel, uh, obviously after the, um, the film called Blast Comes Swim came, we, 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 we co-founded the Black, um, the Black Swimming Association and encouraging Black people within the community to, to swim, understand water safety, and, and more water safety than swimming, because basically the way we see it is that swimming is something, um, swimming is great, uh, swimming is a great activity, but water safety is what's going to save your life. So even if you don't know how to swim and you understand water safety, you'll be able to get yourself out of a tricky, uh, sticky situation. So based on that, we've been, you know, we've been telling people, you know, talking about the water, the water safety aspect of swimming. Um, when I decided to um, um, record, or shall I say film the second part, or shall I say the sequel to a film called That's Can't Swim, I looked at myself and I said to myself, I, I learned to swim at a very late age, but people who learn to swim in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, that have never swum before are few and far between. So if I'm expecting someone who's lived all their life uh, without swimming to all of a sudden decide to go and learn how to swim, it's going to have to, there's going to have to be a very, very strong, um, shall I say, shall I say that it's going to have to be a very, very strong message. It's going to have to be something very powerful 
that makes that person learn how to swim. What made me decide to learn how to swim was my daughter. And I was like, look at my daughter. And I said, okay, if anything happened to my daughter and I was standing by and I couldn't help, I would never be able to live with myself. That's the one main thing that made me decide to learn how to swim. So if I'm, if I'm looking at people out there, I'm looking at people who are in their 30s, 40s, why would they learn how to swim? They've never learned how to swim. They've never had an issue with swimming. They've never had an issue with not being able to swim. Usually when that issue happens, it's usually too late. But so why would they decide to learn how to swim? I need something stronger than that. So we had a conversation. Then we decided that the black youth, the youth between the 16 and 25 year old, they are the ones that can change the, you know, they are the ones that can actually change the narrative. And I say that for a number of reasons. And if you take a, 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 a kid from zero to 15, they are usually under the care of their parents. So basically if their parents do is what they do. And so if their parents aren't swimming, they are not swimming. And if the parents don't see it as a priority, they won't see it as a priority either. Then you, took, you look at the 26 and above, they haven't swum all their life and they've got all their life. They're not gonna change anything. But if you look at that in between the 16 to 25, as long as there's a reason, you give them a reason for them to learn how to swim or want to swim, they will do it because they are at that age where they are, they are experimenting things and they, they can change and they can do various different things. So that is a very, that's the golden age, I call it. And there's a number of reasons that, I, um, that, we, I, uh, that we also chose that age because of the career, the aquatic career pathway. So basically if we give them a reason to, um, to learn how to swim, they will, and that's financial. So you can get a job. There's so many vacancies available in your know, lifeguarding, coaching that this that demographics can do. So, and I, and I tried that and I tested that with a survey. And so basically, so that age, like I said, the golden age, if we give them something to reason, a reason to swim, they will swim. And, but another thing that we had to take in mind was, it has to be relatable. So the fact, just the fact that, that you can get a career out of it or you can make a career, that was not good enough. We had to make sure, and hence the reason I, I wrote a letter to swim culture that in order for anything to change, swimming has to be relatable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so going back to your initial question, based on all this, I decided that if I was gonna do a film, it will have to be talking to that demographics. And hence the reason why the sequel is based around um, black youth culture and mainly two um, black youths who are in a situation whereby they don't want to swim, then I'm in the, I'm, I've been brought in as a mentor to ask them to try and get them to, you know, get them to swim. And I, and I, and I uh, think I've, I've, I've made, I talked about it in, in, in the letter saying that at the end of the film, there was a situation whereby all of them had to get into the pool and they didn't want to do it. And they tried, and, I, and, and, the, and the director and I, and this was about, I think there were about nine, there were about nine young adults. And they said, um, nah, when, we were, when we signed up to do the film, we didn't talk about getting into the water. That was not part of the agreement. So we don't want to do it. Um, so the director and I, and I told them, okay, we booked a place for the scene. This was the last scene of the film. Just come down. And, and it would be great. So 
we spoke to Speedo. Speedo decided to give us a whole heap of kits because they are a, they are our strategic partner of the BSA. So they gave us a whole, you know, goggles and everything. So I told them, I told them that listen, why don't you come down? There's going to be a whole heap of kit. It's going to be a fun day. It's, you know, it's going to be good. And with a lot of reluctance, they actually finally did come down. They came down. So we, so we shot the scene. We shot the outside by the pool, in the pool scenes, and all that kind of thing. But before that, we had music playing. We had it created a, a good atmosphere uh, out there, and it was much more. It was a relatable atmosphere, and relatable to, to what they know. I finished filming and I left. And two hours, so about half an hour later, I get a call from the director saying, "Could you please extend the time in the pool because the kids are having so much time in the pool, they don't want to get out of it." And that just goes to prove that. If you make it relatable, if you make it exciting, if you make it um, something that they enjoy, they will swim. We will swim. And that's one thing that I think swim culture has got wrong because swim culture kind of is like, we are swimming, come and swim with us. You know, bring, can you come and join us in the pool? We're in the pool, we're, we're, we're in, our, in our bubble where we feel very comfortable come and join us, come and swim with us. But that doesn't work. Sometimes you have to take swimming to them. And, and, and I proved, I demonstrated that I took swimming to them and they enjoyed it. Up until now, I, a few weeks back, I had one of them call me and said, you know that gig we did by the pool, in the pool, when are you gonna do it again? Because I really enjoyed it, we wanna do it again. So that's the reason why I did a film called Blast Count Swim. Um, so the Blast Count Swim, the sequel, just because it's, I, I wanna make it relatable to that demographic. One of the things that stands out for me personally is the fil first film is about a, a film called Blacks Can't Swim. It's about a gentleman who cannot swim, who learns how to swim, you know, well, in his fifties. And it also is highlighting the cultural stereotypes and barriers that preclude um, the black community from swimming. But the second film is actually about youth who can swim, but will not swim. Because also they're not aware of the opportunities that, that retaining that skill or ability has got to offer them. They are not aware of the um, recreational opportunities. They're not aware of the mental health benefits, the physical health benefits, or even the financial benefits of taking up and, and taking further a, a skill of swimming. And I think again, when I think about the demographic of you know the, the youth between 16 to 25 year olds, if we, if we really just put a magnifying lens there, that is also the age group where you have high drowning because you have youth who are trying things, you have got peer pressure, you've got issues that people are dealing with within that age group. So they're also the age group that are higher and quite more susceptible to drowning. They're also the age group that are more susceptible to having social issues because they see themselves having no hope in life and, and they don't feel empowered. But I think one of the things that also struck a chord with the work that we've done with our partners is that, um, Swim England, for instance, they're, they're, the Institute of Swimming says 85% of the qualifications that are being taken up are taken up by that particular group, 16 to 25 year olds. So 16 to 25 
25-year-olds Caucasians are taking on swimming teaching roles, teaching assistant roles, and moving on to, you know, education roles and, and other roles within swim culture or rowing or just other things that are done within aquatics. And yet our community does not have visibility of these same opportunities because the messaging isn't there, the signposting isn't there, the impact isn't there. So I think when you look at that particular age group, you're dealing with, you know, the high risk of drowning, you're also dealing with the fact that quite a few of them and uh, in 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 high deprivation areas, and you're just dealing with with quite a few issues there. Some of them that can swim but wouldn't because of you know different 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 things they've been through, near drowning experiences, modesty issues, care issues, or just no lack of interest because they perceive swimming as a white sport. So that for me was the really the core distinction. So it, it, the sequel is not the same as the first. It actually is show, putting the spotlight on a completely different area. Those who actually can swim, but would not. If the 16 to 25 year olds start swimming and start getting involved in aquatics, start getting involved in coaching, lifeguarding and such, all of a sudden they become role models for the generation behind them. So that so the so the the younger ones come and see them as you know, see what they're doing. And what do they do? They start doing it as well. Then the then then the then the six the 26 and above, they see their children doing it and they get involved as well. So basically it opens up doors to a whole right. new it opens up a new a whole new story. And that wasn't there before because prior to this we've been talking about, all we talk about is the life skill, the life skill part of it, life skill aspect of it. We've never talked, we're not talking about the, um, the, the, the aquatic career pathway, it's just about the life skill. And to be honest, that hasn't worked because if it had worked, 95% of us will be swimming. So, you know, it has, there has to be something else that drags us to the water. And if it's the career, if it's a financial thing, then, then they, uh, and, and parents all of a sudden they say, oh, my kid can get a job out of this. He can build a career out of it. I will, you know, I'll put more effort into it. I can give them, I'll, I'll put them, I'll give them, um, what should I say, more training. I'll take, give them coaching. I'll take them, send them to um, lessons outside of the education system because now they can Encourage see at the end more. of it, there's something Encourage else out there. More. Yeah. So it's, 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 uh, I, th I think, I think um, this is going to change, definitely change the narrative. I th that's a perfect segue. We're down to about six minutes, but you know, you two are, uh, or Ed, you're a co-founder, Danielle, you're CEO of, of the Black Swimming Association, the BSA, which is, is, is part of that encouraging voice within the black community to make it relatable, make it uh, accessible, um, and you know, get aquatics, get the aquatic message out there to this community. Um, you know, we spoke about six months ago and what the BSA was doing. Um, I, you know, give us an update on the, the past six months for the BSA and, and even moving forward, um, what the plans are to continue to get this message out. So just for context, um, for those who probably didn't hear our first interview, the, the Black Swimming Association, the BSA, was founded by Ed um, producer of the film, myself, Danielle Obey, Saren Jones, and um, Alice. 
Deering, who is Tim Jeeves' only black female swimmer. Um, so we, we did come together to amplify the message that we've been talking about, about really making swimming more inclusive, more diverse, more accessible, but also looking at swimming, highlighting the value of swimming as an essential life-saving skill. Swimming is the only sport that saves lives. And so the message of the BSA is about inclusivity, it's about diversity, and it's also about water safety within the Black, Asian, and minority ethnic communities. So our first year, which was um, pretty much, we launched in, in March 2020, and we're, we're just a few months away from being one year old, we've had the opportunity to form strategic partnerships with, with within aquatic sphere, especially in the UK and, and also abroad. We, we've had um, strategic partnerships with national governing bodies, Swim England, um, with the Royal Life Saving Society UK, with the, the, the Coast Guards, the, with, with the Swimming Teachers Association. We have Speedo as our core strategic partner, which is brilliant, um, Speedo as, as, a, as a swimming brand. We've also had collaborations with a few other organizations, again, within aquatic sphere and even outside of aquatic sphere. What we've found launching the BSA is that the BSA is now, it's a voice. It's, it's an advocate, it's a, it's a champion and a change agent for a community. Um, in a nutshell, we are, you could call us the diversity and inclusion consult, because technically speaking, I remember when we were on uh, uh, our, our executive strategic group meeting and, and one of our, one of our, the thoughts, one of the things that we're thinking about is the BSA really should not exist if diversity and inclusion was part of every national aquatic governing body and every aquatic governing brand, you would not really have a BSA. So the reason we exist is just to ensure that we're able to call people to order. We're able to say, no, this is an issue that needs to be dealt with. Swimming is the only sport that saves lives and everyone is entitled to have the same platform, whether you're looking at water safety, where you're looking at drowning prevention, you're looking at socioeconomic empowerment, you're looking at you know, just inclusivity, even just products within swim culture. All of these things should be looked at from the eyes of the Black, Asian and minority ethnic communities. Um, when I was talking with the, the Royal Lifeguard, so the RNLI, I did say to them, well, I was told that to deploy one boat to save someone who's drowning, that's hundreds and thousands of pounds. And I said, well, isn't it much cheaper to give us water safety education and make that mandatory so that people are not actually getting themselves into trouble and getting into, into a situation? And I'm just thinking, you've got to think about it from that perspective. Forget about we are hard to reach. We actually are not hard to reach, but we're here as strategic partners to get through to the community to make impact and make a change. So yes, we've had quite a lot to do as a BSA um, in the last, what, 10 months? Yes. 10 months, yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's, that was a long list and which is great because uh, it sounds like you guys are being productive. You're, you've almost hit a year, which is a huge landmark. We're down to two minutes. Um, Ed, Danielle, again, thank you so much for coming on. Is, is there a final, you know, 30, 30 to 60 second message that, that the two of you have um, that you would like to get out there? Um, I, 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 I'm just speaking to, um, this is a message, um, I'm continuing my message to, um, to, to swim, the swimming world, swimming culture, that um, work with us, work with us, and, and we will make, and, and, and we will change this, now. we change it now, we can't do it on our own. We can, you know, but working together as, 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 you know, as human beings, working together, we'll be able to change the narrative. And I, and I, I know, and I always say that this is the beginning of 
the end of the disproportionate amount of black people not swimming. It might not change entirely in my lifetime, but I know we've, we've, we've opened up the waves, so to speak, and from now going, and I know that it's going to be a change, and I can see it. Danielle? I think if, if I had if I had a message put out there, I would say collaborative partnerships. Uh, that's what it's got to be. It's got about it's got to be about allyship. It's not about you know trying to show us the way. It's about walking with us as allies, as partners, as co-creators, as collaborators to make a difference within the sphere. So established organizations, especially within aquatics and swim culture, need to work with us, with the community, uh, empowering the community and letting the community also effect the change for itself um, to make that difference. So as the BSA, we're not just looking at the United Kingdom, we're looking at partnerships worldwide because this is a global issue. You've been listening to the Swim Swam podcast. Stay tuned for new episodes every week. You can take Swim Swam podcast on the go by subscribing on your favorite podcast platform. Look for links in the description below and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more videos as well.